0: Now, one of the uh, pictures that didn't get on there that was kind of funny uh, this week was, Thursday I am sitting in my office and I'm working on the sermon, trying to write the sermon in the morning, you know, all the noise and all the singing and everything, and um, all of a sudden I hear all these high-pitched voices go by the hallway over there shrieking, you know, as they're running this way, and then a little bit later, then they're running this way, and then they're back again and back again, and I didn't know what was going on at first, and then I thought, I know what's going on, because I heard one of the leaders say, we need somebody tall. And, and I thought, you know what, I bet a bat has gotten into the church. <laughs> so, uh, fortunately, Pastor Jason was here at that time, and uh, he was tall. And <laughs> we, we gave a bat racket around and some other things, and so they, they uh, were able, you know, to direct, okay, leaders, close the hallway doors, open the doors at the end, and... Chase the guy out. Yeah, <laughs> a little extra excitement on the week. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to Second Timothy chapter two. We're going to continue in our study here. We're looking at verses twenty to twenty-six this morning. Second Timothy two twenty to twenty-six. I'd like to read it for us. Paul writes in a large house. There are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. And those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for the power that it has to change our hearts and lives. And Father, I pray that today we would listen well and be obedient to what you ask of us. Encourage each one who's here. uh, Feed us from your word and give us strength as we too want to stand strong for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, every year, Vacation Bible School is one of the highlights at our church. I know for the kids themselves, they look forward to being a part of it. But even the leaders just love it. Uh, Jolene, for example, who's up front, you know, was sharing about how much she enjoys working with joy and being up front and the energy she gets from the kids. And, of course, she does a great job in getting them excited, too. Uh, This year, we had over 200 children here in VBS, plus around 40 in the preschool. Uh, Over half of those kids are not from our church. Only about 91 were from our church. The rest come from the community and the surrounding area. And uh, they come, and uh, kids bring friends, and the word gets out, and it's really a neat outreach ministry of our church. And it takes a lot of people to run that. You know, we had 136 youth and adult volunteers who worked this week. That's tremendous to get that kind of response from people who, who want to be here, who look forward to it. And the fruit we see is in, you know, at least seven decisions for Christ that we know of. I think there were probably many more. And uh, almost $3,800 raised for the uh, missionary, the guest missionary this week, Cher Vang, and the work that he'll be doing with pastoral training in Southeast Asia. What a huge blessing that is. I talked to some of the students who you know, are older now and who come back to work and you know, they will all say that that was one of their highlights of being part of our church. They look back on that, that time and it was so exciting and fun for them that they are eager to serve because they want these kids growing up now to have that same kind of experience. And I know I would sneak in here and I'd stand up in the corner of the balcony over there and I'd just look out as this place was packed uh, with kids on every seat, just filling this place and other chairs even brought in, and kids listening to the Word of God and worshiping Him. It just doesn't get any better than that. And for those of you that were here this week, you know, and were volunteering and serving, did you enjoy it? Yeah, yeah, I know you did. Well, VBS for me is just an illustration of how the body of Christ is to work. And within the body of Christ, there is a place for us to serve. Doesn't matter what our gifts are, there is a need. Whether you are up front or working behind the scenes, whether you are helping with the setup or cleanup or decorating, or whether you're a teacher or a crew leader or someone who's involved in the drama, all of that is important. And each one has a part. And when we use our gifts to serve others, and we work together in the body of Christ, there is great joy. There's great joy, and we see that. We were blessed to see all of the children here and to hear their praises, and I know you were too. And when we work together in the church, the other thing is that we want to feel useful. And I think everybody does who's a part of it. You know, they feel useful, like there is something that you can do that is significant to have an impact in the lives of others. And that is true in each of our ministries. And that's really what this passage is about today. It's about being useful to God. What does that mean? What does that take? How is it that we can be useful to God? That's what we're gonna look at this morning. And Paul begins by saying here that in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. In a large house, he's talking about the church. In the church, There's a variety of gifts, just like in a home, you have, you know, articles for noble purposes. He's talking about things like, we might say, you know, the fine china that you bring out when you're entertaining guests, perhaps, or maybe those things that uh, you just love and enjoy that are kind of family treasures that you've had and have been passed on. There may be other things in your home that are really special to you, and those are brought out on those special occasions. And then you also have things that are for Ignoble purposes, you might say, like waste baskets, trash cans, things that serve a function, you might say, but are not quite as noble as others. Now, what's Paul getting at here? What does that mean? You know, I I could see somebody taking this wrongly and thinking, great, I'm a trash basket in the body of Christ. And, you know, what does that mean? Is that my role? No, because he's calling us all to aspire to something different. And so I want to look at that. I want to look at what he's talking about in terms of these vessels and ask the question, what kind of vessel do we want to be? What kind of vessel do we want to be? In verses 20 and 21, Paul exhorts us to be a noble vessel. A noble vessel. Regardless of what our gifts are, where we serve in the body of Christ, each one can be a noble vessel when we are committed to him. And we use our gifts in a way that honors him. Now, I think what Paul is doing here is he is reminding us that the church is a mixture of people. And within even the local church, there are believers and there are unbelievers. There are those who have come to know Christ, and we're at various stages in our spiritual growth, and there are also those who don't yet know Christ, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing that we have those that are coming to church who are seeking to know Christ or want to find out more or learn about him. There are also people who profess to know Christ who really may not be a believer yet. They may say that they are or think they are, but their life has never really been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Timothy's church, they had true believers, and sadly, they also had some who were false teachers. And most of the commentators on this passage think that that is what Paul is referring to here When he talks about vessels that have an honorable or a noble use and those that are ignoble, that he's making a contrast between true believers and these false teachers that had come in. And that's why he says, you know, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, from these, don't listen to the false teaching, don't follow them, if you'll cleanse yourself from that, you will be an instrument for noble purposes. It's like the parable of the weeds that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13. And he said there when he was asked about it that, you know, there was a man who went out to sow seeds in his field. He was sowing seeds of wheat. And uh, when when his servant got up the next morning, he noticed that not only had the wheat sprouted, but also the weeds had grown up. And he said, Master, what should we do? You know, who's done this? Didn't you plant good seed? And yes, indeed, the master had. But an enemy had done this, and had sown weeds, even in the field. And the master said, no, don't pull them up now. Let them grow, because if you pull them up now, you know you're going to damage the true fruit that we want. Instead, what will happen is at the end of the age, God will send his angels and they will separate the wheat from the weeds. In the church, there's a mixture of people. And sometimes that can be confusing for people that look at the church. It can be especially confusing for kids. And I was one of those. And the church that I grew up in You know, I just assumed everybody who was there was a believer and everybody was the same and everybody, you know, had a strong relationship with God. And I just kind of, you know, looked at that. But then I'd hear and see things that were confusing to me because sometimes there were people I thought who were or should be strong Christians who were saying and doing things that weren't really honoring to the Lord. I felt like there were hypocrites in the church. And I looked at that, and that, as a time when I was growing up, my youth kind of turned me off from what I was seeing, those differences in people. In some cases, they may have been immature believers, still growing and working things out, and I needed to understand that. But in other cases, they may not really have known the Lord. There hadn't been that significant change. But on the other side, there were leaders, there were believers in our church where you could look at their life and you could see Jesus in them. You could see it in their words. You could see it in their love for people. There was a genuine change in their life and one of the things that I needed to learn as a young believer was to follow those who follow Christ. To walk after those who really did know the Lord. And I will say in my life that that is what attracted me to Jesus. It was those individuals whose faith was real, it was genuine, who talked about Jesus like he was their best friend, who prayed, who who lived their life in a way that honored him, and that was attractive, and I wanted to know Jesus like that too. And I would say to those of you that are younger, don't give up on Jesus because of people who may disappoint you don't give up on Jesus because of people who may disappoint you. Because it can happen. And all of us, even those of us who know the Lord and desire to follow him fully are going to sin. And there are times when in our life we may say or do something that is disappointing too. We don't want that. We don't want to do that. But that's part of growing in Christ. And so Paul calls all of us here to be a noble vessel, a noble vessel who knows his calling or her calling and understands what God wants us to be. Now, I brought a couple of my coffee cups here this morning because we're talking about vessels, and I'm going to use this as an illustration of a vessel. Now, some might think, okay, this is just, you know, pretty ordinary thing, but to me, a vessel that I drink out of is a noble vessel. This, this has a purpose. This is a reason it's there, and I look at these things, you know, and I enjoy it, and I kind of collect mugs. When we travel to different places, I pick up mugs that I uh, enjoy and like to bring back. Hmm. That's good, too. And, and so here, you know, this one I got on Northern Lights from a state park in northern Minnesota, and I have some others that I've got from different parts around the country. This is one I really like. It's, it's got a commander-in-chief uh, emblem on it. You know, it came out of the White House. Not the desk, but the gift shop. Okay, you know, it wasn't, wasn't, you know, in the wrong place. But it's very nice, and I like that sometimes in our staff meeting, you know, just to bring that... <laughs> None. And there's, there's uh, you know, other mugs that I have for different occasions, okay? But to me, these are, are noble mugs, you know, that I like to use, and I keep them there on my desk. Well, all of us may have things like that in our home. But what does that mean for us to be a noble vessel? Well, I think of what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.9 when he said this. He said that you are a chosen people. Can you bring that up? You are a child of the king, and you go, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is a remarkable verse. I mean, Peter is saying that you and I, we are all children of the king. We have royal blood flowing through our veins. We were chosen by God for a purpose. We are to be a holy nation a people set apart, belonging to Him, why? Why? So that we might declare His praise to a lost world. That's our calling. If we're gonna do that well, then we need to know Him well, and we need to live differently in a way that will point others to Jesus. That is indeed a noble calling. Paul will say too in another passage in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that we are ambassadors for Christ and it is though God himself were making his appeal through us to the world. Be reconciled to God. That's that's our role. We get the privilege of telling others about Jesus and to be that representative. But even more amazing, in 1 Corinthians 6.19 he says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That verse stuns me when you think about the old testament gail and i were talking about this this week and you think about the temple and the temple with the holy of holies in it where the high priest could not enter anytime he wanted to he could only enter once per year and he could only enter when he brought the blood of a sacrifice and made atonement for the people only then could he enter that place and now God says that you are that naos, that holy of holies, because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you as a believer in Jesus Christ. That, that's astounding. I mean, it's no wonder that he says then that we should flee sexual immorality or that we should flee other sins that affect our witness for Christ, affect our relationship with him. Flee those things, he says, because God lives in you. You are a noble vessel called for a purpose, called to declare his glories to the world around you. And that leads to that second point that we are to be a clean vessel. Verses 21 and 22. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes made holy. Useful to the master prepared to do any good work. You know, we understand the need to be a clean vessel. I mean, you can take something as simple as a coffee cup again or something like that. You know, I might be able to go a day, you know, without washing it and use it again the next day. But generally, I like to clean my cup, make sure that it's ready, you know, in that sense to be used. I want a clean vessel that I'm going to pick up. And if one's not clean, I might grab another one that's there or available for me. And that's what we do. And we understand it too. You know, if we're at home, when you're setting the table for dinner, do you take your dishes out of the cupboard or do you take them out of the dishwasher? You know, if you're taking them out of the dishwasher, I certainly hope it's after the wash cycle has completed, you know, and not before taking dirty dishes and putting them on the table. You just wouldn't do that. And we get that. And God wants us to be that kind of clean vessel that he can use. A vessel that is useful to the master but there is a part that we must do and there is a part that god must do and we've seen this before in other passages paul writes here that if a man cleanses himself okay there there's a part there that we have in this process of cleansing ourselves from the latter if it is paul saying to timothy you know instruct the people to have nothing to do with the false teachers, don't listen to them, don't follow their teaching, don't get sucked in by them, then there's a responsibility on our part to not do that. I mean, we can choose, as I put here, who we listen to, we can choose what we watch, we can choose what we read, who we hang around with, and these choices will make a huge difference in the person that we become. And that's there for all of us. I mean, you know, the television shows, the movies, things we do on the computer, whatever it is, books we read, magazines we look at, we can make a choice. Are those choices ones that are going to help us to grow in Christ? Are they going to be things that are going fill to fill our mind with good things? Or are they things that are going to pollute our mind and hurt us in our relationship with God? We have a choice in that. But there is also a part that God must do. And Paul says, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, and then he says, made holy, made holy. There's a passive element in this for us as well. Only God can make us holy. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It is that process that is called sanctification where God is continually at work in us by His Holy Spirit. He convicts us of sin. He empowers us to do the right thing. He he blesses us when we do, and we see the joy that comes from that. He produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life, and we grow, and we're changed. So both things are going on at the same time. We see that again, the two sides to it. In the next verse, in verse 22, where there are things that we are to put off and things that we are to put on. We are to put off the old way of life. And so he writes to Timothy, he says, flee the evil desires of youth. Flee them. And he doesn't spell out what they are. You know, otherwise sometimes we might just limit it to one or two things. He may be saying flee sexual immorality, just like Joseph fled from Potiphar's wife when he was under temptation. But it also may be to flee the arrogance of youth or the pride, or the thinking that you know better than your parents, or maybe than your teachers, what is good or right, because there can be that arrogance when we are young. It might be a rebellious spirit to flee that, don't give in to that. It might be impatience with things because you'd like things to change a lot faster, and sometimes things change slowly or it takes more time. And what's happening is that that pride or rebellion or impatience is hurting your relationship with God and it's hurting your relationship with your parents and others who love you and care about you. Flee the evil desires of youth. And on the other side, put on the new self that was created to be like Jesus and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace righteousness, godliness, faith, that trust in God and growing knowledge of him, a love, a love for God and for others, a peace, a peace that passes all understanding, that peace that brings calm and tranquility and reconciliation to relationships. And do it with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Seek out those who love God and learn from them and grow in your relationship with him. You know, these words that Paul uses here are strong words. I mean, flee and pursue are strong words. And they are also written in such a way, in in Greek we would call it a present imperative. They are a command that is given and it's ongoing. So it's flee and keep on fleeing. It's not just one time, but it's whenever you are confronted with sin don't have anything to do there. Don't go there. Flee from it. Or on the other side, when you're called to pursue these things that lead to righteousness, you know, it's not just a one-time thing, but it's, it's do it, and it's to continue to do it. And that, that word pursue means to run after. Do it today. Do it tomorrow. Do it every day. Run after righteousness. Run after godliness. Seek to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Now think about that. What we are told to pursue is not money, it's not fame, it's not material possessions, but righteousness, righteousness. It's what Jesus said. If you look at and you think about the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular, chapter 6, and we'll look at verses 31 to 33. You remember the account where he's talking about the lilies of the field and he's looking at you know, Solomon's glory and he's saying even Solomon was not arrayed like these flowers in this field. And he went on to say this. He said, so don't worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Do you see that? He's talking that the unbelieving world runs after all these things. That's what they think life is all about. And he tells us, you know what? Your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows that you need food and drink and clothing and all those kind of things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Put God first in your life. Keep him first and watch what he will do. And see how he will provide and care for you. Be a clean vessel. Be a clean vessel available to God. And that leads to the third point here that we are also to be a ready vessel. A ready vessel that is prepared to do any good work. And we see that in verses 21 and then again in 23 to 26 as Paul talks about it. A vessel that is ready for service, you know, and I think about that you know, when I keep a coffee cup on the desk, you know it 's there i I can just pick it up when i 'm thirsty, have something to drink, and again it's refreshing. <laughs> I know those of you that are here visiting are going to see, always do this, you know, no, no, I'm just enjoying it today, and so You know, you have a vessel that is ready for service. That means it's available. It's right there where you can use it. And God wants us to be that kind of vessel that is ready for service. In fact, in Ephesians 2.10, he tells us that we were created to do good works. God called us. He created us to do good works that he actually prepared in advance for us to do. That's one of those verses, too, that you kind of lean to chew on a while and think, wow. You know, this week of Vacation Bible School, those of you that were part in serving here, God intended for you to be a part of that and to use your gifts in a way to be a blessing to others. And when we do that, we're blessed as well. I love the story of Isaiah's call to ministry in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah has this vision of the Lord and he sees God on his throne, high and exalted, And he sees the angels in heaven around him crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they never cease to say that. And Isaiah, it's like he can't even look upon this scene and what he sees is the train of the Lord's robe filling the temple. How awesome and mighty is God that it's just the train of his robe that fills the temple in this vision that he has. And Isaiah is overcome by his own sin. He sees the holiness of God and he is reminded of his own sin. And he weeps in that sense. He says, woe is me. I mean, who am I? I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And and I've seen the Lord. I'm not worthy to see him. And God directs an angel to take a coal from the altar to touch his lips and to make him clean, to forgive his sin. And then... When the Lord gives this call and says, who will go for us and whom shall I send? Isaiah raises his hand, if you will, and he says, here am I. Send me, send me. Isaiah was a ready vessel. That's what God asks of us. You know, you're at work and there's a situation that comes up and there's an opportunity for you to, help someone or to enter into the conversation or to say something that may point them to Jesus? Are you a ready vessel available for the Lord to use? If you're a student, you're with your friends and there's a, you know, something they suggest to do and you go, you know, that wouldn't be a good thing. Are you a ready vessel that's willing to say something and to take a stand for Christ? If you think about work in the church, and a call to help in areas of ministry. Are you a ready vessel that says, I can do that? You know, I can help. I can be a part of that. Are you a ready vessel? That's what God is asking us to do, to use our gifts. We were given those gifts for a reason, to be involved in ministry. And again, what a great joy that is. But there's also other times when we are called to be a ready vessel. Timothy was a pastor. He's a pastor in the church in Ephesus, and things come up suddenly in the church that need to be taken care of. And there are all kinds of issues that you can deal with in the church as a pastor in ministry. At seminary, they humorously told us that we needed to be ready to pray, preach, and die on a moment's notice. And we were hoping that the call would come more often for the pray and preach and less often for the die, you know, and it's kinda, but you gotta be ready for all things. And Timothy, in this situation, needed to take the bull by the horns and confront the challenge facing his church, the presence of false teachers, and yet do it with wisdom and grace. And so Paul instructs him, and he says to him in verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because they know they produce quarrel. Timothy, don't get into that. Don't get sucked in with them on these fruitless kind of discussions. Remember, you are the Lord's servant, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. And those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Timothy, you're the Lord's servant. You're the Lord's servant. So teach the scriptures and do it with gentleness and pray that God will grant them repentance. Now that's not easy to do. It's not easy to be gentle when you'd like to say what you really think you know, or maybe you'd like to try to put these guys in their place, or maybe uh, you just want to win the argument because that would feel very satisfying, and you kind of just blast them. That's happened sometimes. There's a story about Madeline Murray O'Hare, who was well known as an atheist for her kind of combative attitude toward Christianity. And there was a time when she was asked to be part of a discussion with a believer who is an apologist who really knew the scripture and knew his arguments well and in that kind of debate setting or conversation they were having um, he was clearly better prepared and you might say on one level he won the argument but his attitude was so combative and demeaning that he lost the audience And the sympathies of the audience turned the other direction. And afterwards, when he was asked about it, he said that, you know, he really wanted to not only win the argument, but he wanted to destroy a heretic. And the person writing about that said, I would think Paul would want it to be the other way. That what Paul was talking about here is speaking in such a way. That we might not only win the argument, but do it in a way that we pray that God would use our spirit to open their hearts, to bring them to repentance. You can win an argument and close a heart at the same time. And that's not what Paul wants us to do. He is instructing us here to speak the truth in love. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter will say the same thing. He'll say in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared. That's always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's powerful. Speak the truth in love. Think about your words and say it in a way where there is power in the truth of God's word, but make sure your attitude is right in the way that you say it also. Does this make a difference? Does it make a difference to people and does it make a difference to God? It really does. Yeah, this week, um, our son Jason sent us an article from The Atlantic. It was written by a man named Larry Taunton. And it was about the new atheists. And I thought this was kinda interesting. The new atheists. And reading that article, what was sad is that many of them grew up in the church. And uh, they have clubs now on college campuses, kind of like Campus Crusade and InterVarsity have their clubs that are there and meetings. You have atheists who are there. And many of them grew up in the church, and they said this, they left when the church stopped teaching the Bible and youth groups changed to just having fun. And sadly, there are, there are churches that have done that, think, you know, the way that we're going to hold our youth or keep them is we just have to do a whole bunch of fun stuff. And they stopped teaching the Word of God. You don't do that. We want our kids to have fun. We want students to have fun in our ministry. But the most important thing that we are doing is helping them to know God and to apply His Word to their life. So don't change that. And these new atheists, they felt like their church gave superficial answers to life's difficult questions. They really didn't try to address the challenges or the questions that kids were wrestling with in their own life. But here's the encouragement. What they said, these are atheists saying this, that people who believe the Bible and actually know it stand out to them. People who believe it, people who live it, people who actually know what the scriptures say challenge them, and they respect that. In fact, one person said it like this, I really can't consider a Christian a good moral person if he isn't trying to convert me. Isn't that a little different twist than what we normally hear? Because if we really believe that there's a heaven and a hell and we really believe that there's only one way to Jesus and we don't bother to tell anybody about that, do we really believe it? And is that really the loving thing to do? And so even they were looking for people who are consistent in what they believe and what they say and what they do. Let's be that kind of person. Let's be that kind of person who is willing to take a stand for Jesus. Kids, if you're here, what was the theme for VBS this week? It was stand strong, stand strong. And all this week, they were shouting it out. That's a good word. Because if we are going to be useful to the Master, we need to be a noble vessel that knows our calling, we need to be a clean vessel where we put off the sin that encumbers us and put on the Lord Jesus Christ in a ready vessel that says, here am I, send me. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word, for the example of Paul and Timothy and the instruction that is given here. Father, would you make us to be that kind of person? We need to do our part, but Lord, it's by your Holy Spirit that you make us holy You give us the power to stand and to speak your truth. God, would you do that, that we might be effective also in seeing others come to know you as Savior and Lord. Amen.